Hey everyone, welcome in to Patterns Tell Stories. I'm your host, Klaus, and today we're going to be talking about A-Tips Slide 9. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Garrett. How's it going, man? Really good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, just looking at this article that came out today from Ask a Poll, uh, Matt Laszlo. He's... Um, has a Substack, basically goes around Washington, D.C., and chases after Congress people, and he tries to just nail them down on questions uh, with the UFO topic. I guess he got lucky this this past, I guess it was yesterday, I believe South Carolina representative uh, named Ralph Norman had apparently gotten out of a briefing with Lou Elizondo and several others. I believe there was a scientist, a political advisor for the Obama White House was in there, a fighter pilot, and I think a couple other people gave a briefing to some representatives on UFOs. The things that he said when he came out of that briefing to Matt Laszlo were uh, pretty intense and kind of got me thinking that things are going to start picking up again. The thing that struck me was he, he kept saying, I think like three times he said, young people. He was mentioning the importance of young people understanding the truth behind UFOs. And this is like, I guess he's a South Carolina. I should probably look it up. He did have a twang. <laughs> yeah, he did. I'll, I'll hand it back to you. But the notes I took, he called Elizondo an expert when, when asked why he was speaking to him in the first place. And then he said, uh, we got a real problem and that this isn't Playland and he commented that the media is trying to make it seem as though only crazy people are into this topic, interested in this topic. Only crazy people believe that these claims are true from these various whistleblowers. Well, I got news for you. I think the majority of people now believe that there is life outside of our planet and like what we understand to be like when he says young people, that's what I think of this open mindedness. I, I do think it's the way that like we've grown up and the way we've grown up with all these movies and video games and the internet. To be a kid now must be a completely different world. Like if it was some slow drip conditioning, I feel like we're here. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. been almost 100 years. So I feel like at a certain point, all these people involved in this initial cover up are dead. I don't know. But I want to get back to what this guy was saying. How many Marvel movies can you make? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look how many hints. <laughs> I take that question back. Did you see the AI thing that came out? The fuck Sora or whatever it's called? I saw something that had like, it prompted a uh, girl to walk down a wet road and it looked like cinematic quality. Everyone's just going to be sitting with their fucking Apple Vision goggles on, like making AI movies and just like, <laughs> let's get back to it. That's <laughs> oh, horrifying. He ba he called Elizondo an expert. He explained that we have a problem and that the media, for some reason, is like hellbent on making this seem like a topic that only crazy people are into or interested in, which is baloney. And we know that now firsthand. Marco Rubio, I think, is the head or second in command in the Senate Intelligence Committee. Ranking member. Ranking yeah. member. Okay. He made the point like months and months ago that we are taking this topic seriously. I tweeted the other day. The uh, I think his name is John Kirby. He's the coordinator for strategic communications, NSC. Yeah. John Kirby was asked. He said that these things are having impact on our training ranges 
that these pilots are absolutely reporting seeing things that we're tracking them on our radars or they're at least showing up on our radars maybe we're not seeking out to track these things but we're encountering them and they're now causing us to like spend a lot of time and energy on just getting transparency to get back to what this guy that met with Elizondo was saying maybe I'm generalizing but I think a lot of people that want to like learn more about this topic it's so much to swallow the amount of possible things that they could be disclosing or like saying but like in general what these things are it's so sensitive and I feel like you can see how sensitive it is the amount of spin you see around this topic makes me just like genuinely concerned there has to be some giant secret either it's like a big strategic advantage to have a certain technology this the amount of secrecy and amount of uh money that goes into like spinning all these stories and like discrediting people and you know what i mean like it, it's yeah. a tremendous secret and there's clearly something that they could just say because they come out of these meetings all the time when they're like the people should have this information. And it's like, what information? If they told you this in like 20 minutes, what did they tell you within 20 minutes that made you so adamant that the young people of the country need to know this as soon as possible? And this is something that popped into my mind right as I was listening to this guy you know, say this stuff. It's exactly what Tom DeLong was trying to do with To The Stars, saying that young people need to know this. Like the next generation are the ones who are going to be footing the bill for whatever the fuck these cold warriors did back when they were trying to protect national security and doing all these awful things in the name of keeping our country safe. You know, Tom goes on to say that like, once we find out, we'll understand why the reasoning behind it. There seems to be something that we're going to be paying for that could have been taken care of earlier. It's, it's a very common theme. It's like the rotten vegetables in the fridge. Like, it's it's just nature. We can't hold it back because it's just nature. Also, you know, you saw Elizondo, like, towards the end of his time doing the podcast circuit or just being in the public eye in general, he went on uh, this guy's show. His name is uh, Ross Talks, I believe. I guess he was known for his work on TikTok, and he had a more young audience. Makes sense that Lou was trying to go get his message out to people who aren't fucking 35 on UFO Twitter, you know, and uh, get younger people more involved in this because it clearly is going to be affecting the younger generation more so than, than any before it. Something's coming down the line that's going to make this whole situation, you know, unavoidable. I think people need to start having that conversation and it sounds like that's what was happening. And another interesting thing uh, from what this guy was saying about the briefing from Elizondo was that they got, they were shown slides and apparently it sounds like they were shown images of craft. And the guy was saying how, you know, I, I didn't really understand, like I'm not a subject matter expert, couldn't understand like half the shit Elizondo was saying, but like, this is a huge deal and we need to start telling people about it. I'm going to start, I'm going to bring them back and we're going to have everyone, you know, come in and have all this information about you UFOs and, and this dude was dead serious in his tone. Yeah. And you could tell that he had done his homework and his people had done his homework and the people making these people like Elizondo out to be some sort of like clown show. I really don't see that going well as we uncover more about who these people are. I hate to like talk and speculate on certain things, but they have lambasted this guy for how long has it been now? Years. 
six years, seven years. Yeah. Wait, exposed where he lived, went after his family. Like, I don't, I don't know. And you still got people sitting in Twitter spaces all day talking about him. All, oh, like, yeah. While he's down in D.C., like, giving briefings to fucking Congress people. They know more than the Space Force. They know more than our Congress. They know, like, they are tripping. That still, even having said all that, if some evidence did it come out that that guy was a put-on artist or whatever, I would just conform to the evidence. This talk about, like, cults and... I've seen a lot of smears on Elizondo and the the group of people like Harry Reid and, in my opinion, really honorable people, how put off people that have like committed their lives to this topic or in a large way, this topic has like clearly impacted these individuals' lives. No matter how many contracts these people get to do work in like really, really high levels, there's always going to be people saying that like, it's all just to trick you. There are things about that that I kind of went into and got a bunch of heat for past couple of weeks where like some of these guys have like super close family ties to um, black programs. Like one of the guy's brothers was overseeing like literally where money was going into classified programs. I don't, I'm not going to get into names, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean though, yeah. dude. People are getting really like touchy when you start talking about that shit. Meanwhile, they've been going, digging into Elizondo's financials for the past two years. And you mentioned like their very obvious connection to like black programs in their immediate family. And they like fucking have a meltdown, play the victim constantly. And it's, uh, it's kind of funny, honestly. But yeah, it's just going to get worse for them. And uh, I'm sorry, but that's how it's going to go. Something that really relates to all this is a comment Jeremy Corbell made. And he was talking about how he knows right now for a fact that there are multiple groups right now competing and trying to shape the emerging narrative around this topic. And it's something that. that's taken very seriously. Like people that are interested in this topic, just giving you a heads up, there's going to be a lot of spin. There's going to be a lot of like things that are probably really difficult to understand. But like, I'm telling you, don't get caught up in like the outrage or like just keep your eye on the ball of the fact that like there could be a non-human intelligence and all it takes. I don't know who said this, but props to them. And I want to give them a hug. I heard someone say, all we need is one piece of evidence to be correct. Yeah, just one UFO to not be yeah, human. Yeah, exactly. So you're going to say all these people are lying? All these leaders? <laughs> what were, who were we talking about before? Uh, General MacArthur? I don't know, man. It gets to a point where uh, we, we as a people, I feel like, have a right to know. Yeah, and I think that's kind of becoming the consensus. When you got this crusty old man being like, yeah, we got to show the young kids about the UFOs. It's pretty uh, heartening. <laughs> but... um and then Elizondo, obviously, uh, Matt Laszlo asked Rep. Norman if if he corroborated what David Grush said before Congress, and Rep. Norman said absolutely. So, I mean, obviously, you know, they're on the same page, but it was good to hear that. There was actually one other thing I saw just briefly before we started recording. It's my friend Daniel Del Vecchio. I don't know if you follow him. He's uh, he, he lives in Germany. And uh, he posted that uh, ZDF, who is a German public uh, state broadcaster, they put out a video on YouTube talking about David Grush and uh, interviewing a scientist for the European Space Agency, basically saying that uh, it's time to respect UFO witnesses and destigmatize the topic so we can solve it. Yeah, Daniel says, like, UFOs are, like, non-existent in German news. Yeah, he's actually, like, completely blown away as a German that this stuff would come out in ZDF. That's fascinating, dude. Yeah. 
um, in Germany, as people who listen to That's this quite, podcast quite know, history yeah, it plays into this pretty <laughs> bizarrely. Yeah, I found that cool. It's it's really important too to get this stuff out of the hands of fucking Susan Gao and Dick Wad over at Battelle right now. Um, so, <laughs> because like that is the problem with the U.S. centric, you know, slant to all this stuff is that there's so much power in the U.S. to keep it uh, hidden. Please get this out of the U.S. and like into somewhere that actually gives a shit about any sort of transparency. Um, yeah, those are two kind of exciting things. The Soul Foundation videos came out the other day. There were some some really interesting things from there. They've kind of been talked about a lot in the past week or so since they've come out. I mean, if you haven't seen them, go watch them. They're really good. They were from, uh, yeah, the Soul Foundation Symposium that happened back in November at Stanford University. Carl Nell's presentation specifically was pretty cool. Uh, we talked about that kind of back when the slide leaked from it. But uh, besides that, we can get into the main thing we were we were going to get into, and um, that would be A-Tip Slide 9. So A-Tip Slide 9 is kind of in the UFO lore more recently. It's a slide from a presentation that I believe was given to uh, the office of the Undersecretary of Defense. That's probably like what Lou gave a fucking presentation on, you know, yesterday. <laughs> it's similar shit like this. And, uh, you know, the dude I had no idea what he was talking about, but still it's like crazy shit we got to tell everyone. And I think it was actually from when they were trying to get a SAP status for OSAP to turn OSAP or ATIP into a special access program and get them the security and, um, yeah, the classification and compartmentalization. They wanted to actually make that program do what it was supposed to do. When they couldn't get that, that's basically the path where they took the UAP task force, kind of snowballed into what it is today. <laughs> and Lou's still down in uh, D.C. Given, um, given these briefings. So the slide was uh, shown to DOD leadership. It was essentially showing them what OSAP and ATIP had come up with. It was basically the case they were making in order to be taken seriously enough to get the funding and the security to become a special access program in the Pentagon. This wasn't just hunting ghosts or fucking shooting at werewolves or whatever the fuck Stephen Greenstreet likes to pretend people are doing. Like these are serious, serious national security concerns that are coming down to technologies. Crazy shit that like no one even really understands. And we need to get this science out into, you know, the more general academic community so we can actually have defenses against it because it sounds like the stuff that they're talking about in this presentation is really, really tightly wrapped up in black budgets and um, compartmentalization has a stagnating effect on uh, developing certain technologies. The ones on this slide that we're going to go through seem like some of those. This briefing slide was for some reason on Chris Mellon's website. I guess he put it on there. He had like a little section on his personal website that said like miscellaneous or something like that. Yeah, the slide was on there and I guess it got removed. But yeah, Jay from the Mind Sublime went and I guess found it on the Wayback Machine or something like that. It was along with several other slides. It was actually the whole presentation was on there, along with, uh, I guess, a few pictures of the casing of the original uh, UFO videos that came out through TTSA. There, yeah, there's a little like miscellaneous section. He pulled a bunch of those slides and that's how we got them. I don't think they've ever been officially acknowledged by Lou or Chris. I don't think they can acknowledge them, honestly, because of <laughs> the content and where they came from. 
let's dive into it unless you got anything you wanted to uh, preface this with. There is a tweet by Lou Elizondo. The Twitter user said, you've mentioned something along the lines about the government testing psychotronic weapons slash psyops on the public. In the event of, quote, disclosure, would there be justifications for those affected by those programs and problems they created? And Elizondo quote tweeted it and wrote, we must always be held accountable for our past sins to ensure we don't do it again. It's too early to tell, but depending how this goes, there may be some folks having to answer some serious questions. So with that, let's let's, <laughs> let's dive in. Let's get into it. We've read it on the podcast before, but um, yeah, we'll just go over it real quick again because we only touched on the first aspect, which is psychotronic weapons. And we also have talked about that a lot with um, you know, Scott Andrews stuff. We talked about it last week and previously. So we're going to talk about probably the rest of it a little more. So slide nine of this presentation says DOD threat scenario. ATIP subfocus areas, which is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. The science exists for an enemy of the United States to manipulate both physical and cognitive environments in order to penetrate U.S. facilities, influence decision makers, and compromise national security. And then it lists a bunch of technologies or, yeah, I guess, phenomena that uh, could pertain to this threat. Uh, they say psychotronic weapons, cognitive human interface, or CHI, Penetration of solid surfaces, instantaneous sensor disassembly, alteration slash manipulation of biological organisms, anomalies in the space-time construct, and unique cognitive human interface experiences. And then there's a header that says DOD advantages, and it lists three things. Uh, DOD has been involved in similar experiments in the past. DOD has relationships with renowned subject matter experts, and DOD controls several facilities where activities have been detected. What was considered phenomena is now quantum physics. So yeah, we touched on psychotronic weapons a lot. So I guess, first off, we can get into the cognitive human interface. And so there's a few ways, I guess, the cognitive human interface idea can be interpreted. Um, when you look at it straight up from a you know military defense standpoint, it is something that isn't even really like that far out right now. It's uh, you would think of it as a brain computer interface, you know, Neuralink esque, I guess. And then Elizondo said something a little bit different when he was asked about. You know, that specifically, the uh, the CHI was asked by James Ian Doley from uh, Engaging the Phenomenon several years ago. I guess he basically asked him, like, what is this? Like, what does it mean? Uh, Lou went like, well, that sounds a little bit like your CE5 now, doesn't it? Something very, very close to that. Kind of brings to mind um, something having to do with uh, contacts, right? That is the suggestion that I got there. So for those who don't know, CE5 is a protocol that I guess was kind of hijacked by Stephen Greer, who made an app for it. And essentially, it's the better name is Heist, Human Initiated Contact Experiences. Well, it's also a playoff of the Heineck classification, too. Uh, Heineck had a classification where he pegged what a close encounter of the first kind, the second kind, the third kind was. Those classifications continued and I believe went on to like five or six. I yeah. think there's six total. This is my understanding of each type of close encounter. A close encounter of the first kind is a UFO sighting. Close encounter of the second kind, a sighting in tangible proof, like scorched grass or electric wires. A close encounter of the third kind is a contact with a space being or entity. 
close encounter of the fourth kind is an abduction by a UFO. A close encounter of the fifth kind is contact by metaphysical or occult means. And close encounter of the sixth kind is injuries or death resulting from a UFO encounter. <laughs> oh my God. What was the fourth kind again? It said abductions by a UFO. So five is between abductions and murder. I don't know what to think about that, honestly. Well, think back to these like psychic spy programs, as Jim Mars called them. Like a lot of these remote viewers, as they're like allowed to come forward now, like look at Joe McMonagle. Joe McMonagle just did like a what was a seven hour long interview. He told everything he ever did. These people that worked in these program, men and women, they were doing this on a daily basis and it wasn't sinister. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the way we're describing it now sounds spooky in a way. They're not like reaching out to another like conscious being. They're looking for like a fucking farmhouse in the, in the woods or something. It's a little different, I think. Maybe not. I mean, I'm sure you could run into shit on the way. The only reason why I'm thinking of that is the stories that go wrong. I don't know exactly. This seems like we're shooting in the dark in a lot of ways on a lot of these. Yeah, I think that's the problem is you don't know what you're um, you're fishing for. You don't know what's going to come back. Uh, I think that's what Jim Simivan said. It's like you're putting yourself out there, but you don't know what's what you're going to find, basically. Right. Uh, could be good, could be bad, could be... You know, not intentionally bad, but it could fucking kill you. And you know something about that? That I'm glad that you pointed out the distinction between what the remote viewers were apparently doing and what CE5 and what Stephen Greer is motivating people to do, because it is much different. The elements of CE5 and what's at stake, you're inviting all sorts of things that you don't understand potentially. Something that freaks me out about Stephen Greer and CE5 is that if you look back to like the old vampire myths, there's this whole element of inviting things in or letting things in. And especially CE5 when you're, it's not like remote viewing where you're like, you have a target or a coordinated spot you're trying to see. It's more so you're trying to achieve contact with another intelligence. That, to me, if you look back in lore, like Passport to Magonia or the Vampires, there's an invitation element of it. And there's a uh, element of like surrender. That part of it, to me, makes me not want to try it and makes me want to examine the people that are trying it and reporting, hearing and seeing things. I want to know more about what messages they're getting. Because even with the stories I've heard, I don't know about you or if this is derailing it a little, but like a lot of people that make contact, it envelops their entire life when they claim that they've done this. A lot of these people, or they had a very like spiritual element to it. And they very much considered it a religious experience. And I remember John Keel telling a story about a particular woman who had come close to a UFO, or at least he had classified it as a UFO encounter based on what she described. And he said she would like rock on her front porch every night and just say, muttering to herself, God loves me and he chose me for this. God loves me and he chose me for this. Jesus. Right? Isn't that crazy? I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to think of this because like that, and that's just from a moment that might not have even really happened to everyone else in the room. 
You know what I mean? But it was yeah. the realest thing ever to her. It's a great point, honestly. Yeah, who knows if she like actually invited something or she triggered something in her own reality that made her think something had happened or she has to like do that. And I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's hard to say. So that's one side of cognitive human interface. <laughs> the other side I think that we're actually talking about is more along the lines of like brain-computer interface. But I do find it very interesting that uh, they had to differentiate between just brain-computer interface and cognitive human interface. They had to specify human twice. They did that twice in the, in the slide presentation. So potentially, it implies that there's a non-human cognitive interface, I guess, is my point, which may or may not be relevant. I don't know. It's just kind of, uh, that's what I take away from it in my um, conspiracy brain. I think it mostly comes down to in in the terms of like UFOs, you know, how these things move the way they do. I think I think it comes down to quote unquote flying the craft with consciousness. If consciousness is some kind of quantum process and you can create a, a quantum interface with a craft that can do all these crazy things, I mean that that I think is a cognitive human interface, some sort of quantum BCI. Then then you're actually literally flying the craft with consciousness if if it is proven that consciousness is a quantum process. Yeah, then that would be considered a drone, right? That's what I'm thinking of in my sure. head. Sure, I mean, like, if you're not in it, I, if you're doing it remotely, yeah, I think that might be a big part of this is remotely controlling these wild things because you don't need to be in the craft. But in Secret Machines, even Alan, the main pilot, uh, when he goes and flies the actual disc, it disappears around him. It's basically just a vessel for his consciousness, essentially. Whereas like an avatar, the guy gets in a tank and then he like kind of logs in. <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think either way, that is a trippy concept. I totally believe it, bro. After seeing this Apple Play thing, oh, the, yeah. uh, what is it called? I don't even remember what it's called. I just have seen these people walking their dogs and on the bus. Oh, that's weird. Working. They're just working in a different world than everybody else. There's now a new reality. So I'm kind of thinking over the idea of our technology catching up, you know, us finally being able to see like different layers of like outside of our visible light spectrum, right? That idea where we only now have the technology to to see these things and they started seeing them off the coast of uh, Virginia when they upgraded their radar. And there seems to be like some sort of sensor that can pick these up, just allow us to experience things that we would never see otherwise. A lot of this stuff shows up on radar, obviously, and is not visible to the naked eye. If there's some sort of cognitive human interface or just like something that you wear or that is external to the human body, or it could even be, you know, synthetically biological, I guess. Like imagine, I guess, just for the sake of this thought experiment, like glasses that you could put on that would let you experience other things outside of our current sensory input will allow us to. Would that be like augmented reality? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I guess my point is like, imagine like they come out with these goggles, I guess <laughs> the vision quest, like imagine you just started seeing like entities inside your fucking goggles. Sure. I'm thinking of like Pokemon Go right now. Yeah, similar. Of like how a, a squirtle can be jumping up and down on your bed. Exactly. But like yep. no one else would ever see that in a million years. There you go. Pokemon Go. Device. <laughs> Pokemon Go is disclosure. <laughs> But yeah, that is pretty much literally exactly what I mean. Except instead of a phone with a funny app, it's an actual military-grade sensor that yeah. is looking at the entire electromagnetic spectrum. And you're the one who isn't real. The Pokemon are real. <laughs>
that's the difference. Their their world is real. So, yeah, I'm just imagining if there's some sort of augmented uh, uh, sensory enhancement technology that, you know, we're just going to start seeing these fucking beings sitting in our room. That's kind of a, an element in childhood's end is that the overlords decide to just reveal themselves. I do not know this. Oh, well... I'm going to actually probably give you this book when I come to New York soon. When the aliens decide to like start revealing themselves, they basically are like, we're in charge now. And they put an end to like all mistreatment of humans towards other humans and like everything goes good. And then they say like, hey, in 50 years or so, we're going to, uh, something's going to happen. When they finally show themselves, they're all just like demons and they have like leathery wings and shit. And all the kids that are born after that point are on board with them and like appear to be controlled by them. It's going to be so much fun. (laughs) I can't wait. John Keel's point when he was asked about the future, he brought up childhood's end. He said that first he said the future must exist in some way. Otherwise people that are psychic, we, we couldn't see it, but there are clearly people that are psychic in his opinion. And uh, so he says, we can see the future. So clearly the future has to exist in some way. But he's like, but once we can really see the future and what the future holds for human beings, then we can go away and the mothmen can inherit the earth and the dolphins can inherit the earth. He, he was like, we're not doing much good for the planet anyway. It's like a whole part of what human beings do. I think it's possible what things do once they become intelligent, like a beehive almost. Like they just go branch off and make more beehives. That was a roller coaster, man. Demons and beehives. And uh, <laughs> cognitive human interface. So I guess part of that could be telepathy. There's an interface that leverages quantum entanglement. You could communicate. I think a big important thing about this telepathy in general or cognitive human interface where you can communicate with other people without needing language is the lack of language, the lack of uh, barrier between communicating with other people of different cultures, of different backgrounds. Because language, I think, shapes a lot of, obviously, like how we see the world. It shapes how we think because we think in our language, in our native language, I guess. I don't know. I don't really know how other people think besides myself. That could change a lot of things is if there's, there's no barrier between us based on communication. I wanted to ask you also, while we're talking about cognitive human interface, about the company SAIC, because I've seen declassified documents of uh, like Edwin May. You know, Ed May, the he like yeah. he was a guy that was real involved in these like psychic programs in the 80s up into the 90s. He ran the program at, Sa- at SAIC. Right. He ran the program at SAIC. And there's these documents that mention Joe McMonagall, who also apparently went on to work for SAIC. And this particular one I'm reading is from the Cognitive Sciences Laboratory at SAIC. I didn't know if you had ever heard the phrase cognitive human interface in relation to SAIC, because I always think when I think of a company that has a crashed UFO, I know a lot of people think Lockheed Martin, but I got to be honest, when I think about that, given what I know about this in this whole topic, I think SAIC is probably a treasure trove of knowledge that people couldn't even imagine. 
But that's just my two cents. No, people, I agree. <laughs> people should uh, look do their own research and like. Uh, but I think once you scratch beneath the surface, it's very interesting. Yeah, and I think probably part of that the remote viewing stuff definitely is uh, applicable to whatever this brain computer interface, cognitive human interface, whatever you want to call it. So let's move on to the next one: penetration of solid surfaces. Essentially, saying that you can walk through walls. That's kind of the idea that I got from it. I don't know if you remember a few years ago in the Liberation Times, Chris Sharp had someone who was like, he was like a guest writer, I guess. And he was uh, worked at an Air Force base, I think like a nuclear missile base, and said he saw like a shadow person there. And you kind of hear about this, like there's that book, uh, Chameleon, I believe it's called, where these people are like gang stalking this guy. <laughs> and they're, they're, it's actually based in Pacific Beach and SAIC is <laughs> the people who are gang stalking with these fucking like uh, chameleon suits. But um, <laughs> that's funny <laughs> that you brought that up. Yeah, they definitely have something over there. And I, I think it's talking about using materials, you know, kind of cloaking yourself that changes the matter around it at a molecular level. So you can actually like go through these walls and stuff. I guess that's the idea of why they're seeing them at the nuclear sites is, um, you know, potentially people are using these suits that have materials that can, yeah, molecular phase technologies that allow for the seamless entry into secure facilities bypassing conventional locks or barriers. That was uh, ChatGPT's suggestion. Interesting. Yeah, and Tom talks about that in his interview on Apple Music. I think it was how if you just change the frequency of something, your finger will go like right through the table. I guess that was his um, idea. <laughs> but uh, I think he was talking about like conversations he was having with um, Steve Justice when he was talking about that stuff. The Lockheed Martin Skunk Works aerospace guy? Yeah. What? Yeah. So penetration of solid surfaces. Yeah, that's essentially like mass displacement. Yeah, changing stuff at the molecular level so you can just slide right through a barrier. As you're reading a lot of these, and as I continually read this slide, this sounds like things that like are kind of dealt with in space. Like a psychotronic weapon. I mean, there's a lot of different types of psychotronic weapons. Let me preface by saying that. But like when I think of it, I think of like super powerful satellites, things that you you better like have on like some top secret basis if it's like something that's going to hurt people. On some official capacity, I would like to think no country would allow people to put a device like that in the space. And <laughs> I feel like, uh, in my opinion, when we talk about certain things like UFOs do, it really correlates really strong. It, it, and this is from Jacques Vallée, is like the effects from UFOs look very similar to the effects of like microwave devices. And uh, or at least the effects, they, they look like microwave effects of people that come close to some of these things. I just don't know. I, am I wrong to correlate some of these things with no, that makes sense. space? Um, instantaneous makes sense. sensor disassembly? I'm thinking of like EMPs or a, so, like, I don't even know. Maybe I'm thinking of like UAVs because I'd sent you that thing with Donald Rumsfeld when he was asked about psychotronic weapons or directed energy weapons. He immediately jumped over to talk about UAV. 
And I don't mean that in the UFO sense, but I mean that in the sense militarily, UAVs are all sorts of drones and uh, unmanned devices. It's just unmanned aerial vehicle is what I understand that to be. So like, and that was in 2002. I can share this too for people that are curious about it. But uh, he was asked about the United States willingness to experiment with some of these types of devices. He made a point. We are willing to try things out if they show that they're going to give us some sort of strategic advantage. I don't know. I thought it was when when he hopped straight to UAV, I started thinking like there's a lot of stuff happening up high. Even Donald Trump, when he had that quick briefing with Obama, he even let it slip and he said something about high flying assets. They asked him about microwave weapons and then he jumped right into UAV and then he went into saying, I don't know, he basically admitted that they jump in and grab stuff from like, you know, the R&D development line, basically. And, you know, it might not be approved for use in warfare but he literally admitted in front of, in front of all those reporters that they go take stuff and they use it that uh might not exactly be approved i guess or you know it depends on the situation or the battlefield uh, dynamic i guess i don't know that, i thought that was interesting i agree it appeared to me it was some sort of gray area yeah exactly. these things exist in and even the i i don't know if the guy was air force that was next to him but he seemed nervous too when that subject got brought up yeah. I don't know, man. It's a weird thing. Like, imagine if you had something that gave you a huge strategic advantage. Like a nuke in space? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, in, in the sense of what we're talking about, I mean something that like a UAV that could potentially send out an EMP and like shut down a whole city. Like that would be pretty substantial. I don't know. I feel like it's something that if you saw your enemy was sleeping on, you wouldn't yeah. make a big deal to make legislation around it. If anything, there would become this whole covert race to acquire this technology because it hadn't been. That's how I think of it. I don't know. Quantum electromagnetic pulse. Those are devices that can emit a targeted quantum field to instantly disrupt electronic circuits. So all this stuff on such a small level is really the scary part. Being able to do things at, at a macro level, that would be just completely out of control. So like quantum radar, that, that would render all other stealth technology completely obsolete. If you can detect with a quantum field, it would be way more uh, accurate. We would be like sharks swimming <laughs> yeah, in the ocean exactly. and all of our fins are sticking out. Exactly. <laughs> There's also the idea that like nanobots could go and like completely disassemble any any sort of sensor all at the same time. But uh, I think a lot of this also kind of had to do with like OSAP. For the most part, like Skinwalker Ranch, like poltergeist kind of activity. They'd set up cameras to take pictures and they would come back and like the film would be unrolled and you know all the circuits would be blown to bits it's like that kind of thing is uh i think where this specific one came from yeah the next one is alteration or manipulation of biological organisms this one gets creepier the more you think about it obviously what comes to mind is like the crispr type thing employing quantum mechanics to edit genes with high precision what it sounds like is like all new age shit, like rapid healing, telepathy, like all this stuff. It can just be explained by a technology that, that's quantum based. That's uh, something that Edgar Mitchell was big on. The hologram. Yeah, it was that these were like quantum processes that we are just slowly going to learn more about. I don't know, man. I think just between the fact that we got this slide at all was a result of uh, the internet. Like, I don't think we would have seen this 12 years ago, or maybe not 12, but 20 years ago. Yeah, I don't think we would point. have seen this slide nine from the Mind Sublime. Like, I, I equate it to a dam breaking. 
like there's only so much water that it can hold before one little leak starts coming out. Nowadays, the whole world knows within 20 minutes, people got to be on it fast. People got to spin stories fast. I think the writing is on the wall. Um, And then also manipulation of biological organisms. That to me just sounded like a weapon. It doesn't have to be anything that's like Machiavellian. It could just be something that just hurts people. Or uh, like when you listen to the people that do claim to have Havana syndrome, it's very unpleasant and very hard to trace because I obviously don't have Havana syndrome, knock on wood. But like the fucking people that come forward and say that they have like these problems, it sounds like hell. Like it's, it's complete torture. You can literally torture someone it's like invisibly torturing them. That's the way I would phrase it. Or at least that's the way it sounds. Let me give an example that a lot of the conspiratorial minded people would understand is like Harp. a lot of. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. Was <laughs> like it. A lot of people think that Harp is Nikola Tesla's death ray. It's what they call it. And I do not think that. The, the first I heard about Harp was from this guy named Nick Begich Jr., and he's the son of a former U.S. representative in Alaska. I thought you were say he's my neighbor. No. <laughs> like, damn, you know, doxing the neighbor. <laughs> but this guy, he's an author. He's a guy that's like done interviews and I believe he's run for office now. And uh, I'm not endorsing him politically or any. I'm just saying who he was. So this guy was the son of a U.S. representative that was elected in Alaska. The son of this guy has done interviews and has made statements saying that like, so there was an inventor named Bernard Eastland. He invented, the invention is called Method and Apparatus for Altering a Region in the Earth's Atmosphere, Ionosphere, and or Magnetosphere. Inventor Bernard Eastland. It's from 1985. In the references he cites, he cites this, I think it's February 1935 Liberty Magazine publication by Nikola Tesla. It's called A Machine to End All War. Nick Begich Jr., my understanding is that he thinks that that's what harp is, is what this invention is, is it was based on Nikola Tesla's idea. And if you read that old article, it's literally of uh, something that could like shield an entire country from any like incoming attack. He talks about like different towers being built and different transmitters being built around the world. This being a type of technology to completely change the way we approach certain things. I don't know if I necessarily agree with everything Nick Begich thinks about HARP and about this particular invention, but it is very interesting that the guy cites Tesla. Anyways, a lot of people think that like this type of technology exists and is used in a way to like use it as a weapon instead of uh, changing regions in the Earth's atmosphere or ionosphere. A lot of people think that Tesla's death ray in like old or new, even new conspiracy videos will come out and they'll be like, Tesla invented something to just like zap people and fry them up immediately, just right out of the sky. I've never seen anything that says anything like that. And maybe he's thought about it. I don't know. But like, I've really combed through a lot of his books and journals and articles he's written. And like, I could be wrong. But I don't think when people say the death ray, I don't think Tesla ever came forward and was like, this is my death ray. I know he's written articles about this type of technology, like I'm talking about here. 
I don't think that's what harp is. If you ask, I've never been to Alaska and tried to like go there, but the people who do try to go up there, if you look up and like look up about harp online, it says it's like a research facility. But when you apparently try to go inside, they say it's like top secret and you can't go in there. There's a lot of things that are secret about that area and things that like for some reason they really keep their cards held close. But I don't necessarily think it's something sinister. I think it's something that just like, like we're talking about with the UFOs is like if you have a crash saucer or something that like some exotic technology and you're utilizing it, you're not going to show it to anybody. End of story. In my opinion, the answer would always be if you have some technology like that, that other people don't understand yet, the answer to give it up is over my dead body. And it's going to be, it's going to take a lawsuit or something to get people to talk about it. This makes me think like all these people around the world have independently cracked gravity and not told anyone. And they're just flying around. <laughs> uh, like a club, like a fucking rotary club or some shit. <laughs> so the next one that's, that I think is probably the most interesting and has so many applications is um, anomalies in the space-time construct. So this in itself is obviously the one that's like most inclusive of like UFOs and propulsion, warp drive and all that stuff. Those all have to do with like anomalies in the space-time construct. Um, a weapon could be developed that creates localized distortions of space-time, effectively making objects or troops appear to be in multiple places at once or making them disappear temporarily. It kind of reminds me of what Kate Green was saying in that article that I was reading last week. And I'll read that part again real quick. He says, uh, there are a lot of cases of things that instantaneously appear and instantaneously disappear. There are a lot that will instantly disappear and then instantly appear close by but in another angle of sight. In a blink of an eye, it will not appear to be directly ahead of you, but appear to be 30 degrees to the right or 30 degrees to the left. So that, that sounds a lot like... Um, sounds like a tic-tac. Yeah, kind of. Because he was talking about people getting hurt by UFOs, you know, by the White House or over the Capitol. And if there's some sort of way to um, distort space-time and make it seem like a stationary object is somewhere else for a split second, that's a huge advantage in like warfare. If you can <laughs> distort space time and slow fucking time down, that that would give obviously the ultimate edge if you could uh, you know have a localized time dilation device of some kind. That would be extremely advantageous. Imagine uh, <laughs> I mean that's everything. That was one of the effects Joseph Farrell talked about of the uh, Bell machine. If it is even a real thing, the the rumor around that thing was when they would turn it on, all the plants and surrounding life would be put in this weird like their telomeres would be warped. I don't know if I'm pulling that out of my ass, but they they said that all the life and the scientists involved with those initial tests were like all fucked up. The rumor goes is that like this thing did something to time. And this is years and years ago. This is like in the 40s. God only knows what they did with that. And that the only reason I'm bringing that up is because that's talked about in secret machines. That's one of the things they stowed away and brought with them out of Germany. If any of this stuff is happening or is true, and I, I feel like we've already seen enough headlines, like we've had presidents acknowledge Havana syndrome and the fact that like something is occurring to people. I give mad props to Tom DeLong and to the Stars Academy for actually putting attention around these topics as uncomfortable and God only knows how uncomfortable it is if you were like in the military or like... You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, I can only imagine, but uh, props to the people brave enough to say something if they think that some of these things 
are happening are happening in a way that isn't being overseen by Congress. This is um, what Elizondo said. He did a GQ interview, I think, like two years ago. Okay. This is what he said. Um, I can't speak too specifically, but one might imagine that you could get a report from a pilot who says, Lou, it's really weird. I was flying and I got too close to this thing and I came back home and I got a sunburn. It was red for four days. Well, that's a sign of radiation. That's not a sunburn. It's radiation. Then a pilot might say if they'd gotten a little closer, Lou, I'm at the hospital. I got symptoms that are indicative of microwave damage, meaning internal injuries. And even in my brain, there's some morphology there. And then you might get somebody who gets really close and says, you know, Lou, it's really bizarre. It felt like I was there for only five minutes. But when I looked at my watch, 30 minutes went by. But I only used five minutes worth of fuel. How is that possible? Well, there's a reason for that, we believe, and it probably has to do with the warping of space-time. And the closer you get to one of these vehicles, the more you may begin to experience space-time relative to the vehicle and the environment. So he fucking said that to GQ, talking about time dilation. When you get near these craft, these pilots are like, 30 minutes went by on their watch, and they used five minutes worth of fuel. Like, that's not even like human perception. Two different devices, that's not even taking into consideration human consciousness. Like, there is a space-time warping going on, if that's actually the case. Oh, my God. That's wicked. Yeah. And so you, you extrapolate that, and if that's really happening, these pilots are experiencing this stuff. You know, you have the same technology that can just warp space-time around you in a localized manner. I mean, that's what a UFO is. If you could even just have, like, um, a laboratory that can do that. And then you can do 30 years of research and development while the world goes by and it's only been, like, you know, five minutes. You could probably come up with some pretty wild tech doing that. Or even just for, you know, basic medical stuff. Do all sorts of uh, yeah, medical research and cure cancer in uh, like five minutes. You know, however long, like 100 years in, in relatively. But uh, yeah, I mean, just the whole idea of people having some sort of like personal device that could warp space time. You know, it, it would be chaos if everyone could just like spend as much time doing something as they wanted. Or uh, I think about it all the time before I go to work. I'm like, fuck, I wish I like, just stop time and fucking hang out for 10 more minutes and get my shit together. Yeah, I guess that would help with that. But it could also be like completely change reality if everyone's on their own timeline. <laughs> like, I, I, do. don't know, I, I don't know how you live in a society like that. Dude, you got to watch Dragon Ball Z. There's a there's a part of that show where they have a chamber. They call it the hyperbolic time chamber. And they're warriors, right? And they protect the earth. So like when they know that a bad guy is on their way to the planet, they will go in the hyperbolic time chamber and they will turn a day into like three years. And they'll come out with like three years of training and preparation to fight this guy. It's really cool. I recommend that show if people want to like think about concepts like that. Dragon Ball Z is a great show. I just like that show. I don't give a shit if you like quantum <laughs> physics. Everyone should watch Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's just crazy that Lou is like saying this shit to the biggest British press outlet there is. The point is these weapons are probably real. Well, look at look at Gary Nolan, man. Gary Nolan says firsthand that these people, he got called up for people who have had encounters. And yeah. to like look and inspect them medically. I like when I explain that to people, they'll like look at me and then they'll like squint and they'll be like, what do you mean close encounters? And I'm like, with UFOs, the more and more information, like I was saying, that damn breaks, the more these ridiculous spin headlines are going to just drown. People just putting out baloney about these guys that are trying to dig out more about this topic, like Elizondo. My prediction is that history will look at him kindly 
And I would be happy to eat my words if I was shown evidence to the contrary. But I think just in the past few years, the fact we're talking about these types of devices seriously and the fact that they might be used in some capacity in an unethical way, possibly, potentially, probably, (laughs) maybe, (laughs) I don't know. I am giving every out and every fucking, (laughs) but uh, I, dude, the fact that we're having these conversations, we're talking about UFOs seriously, a Stanford scientist an inventor is holding conferences to have other scientists and uh, scholars come and discuss a topic that people have been ridiculing unfairly for almost 100 years now. I think that like culturally, like that congressman said, he was a congressman, right? Not a senator or was he a senator? Yeah, because he's a representative. Yeah. Got you. Like that congressman said, young people are going to play an important role in this. A big part of that is that change is people grew up with the Internet. People grew up with PlayStations and Dragon Ball Z. And like, I don't know, man, I think that like the ideas in people's subconscious can handle the idea. And it's not something if they, if their worry or concern was some sociological concern, like it was going to spark some panic by saying there was a non-human intelligence on our planet. I understand if maybe they wanted to pump the brakes and give culturally us time to catch up to these ideas. The thing that was bizarre to me, I'm just not expecting like some old Southern guy to be like, we have to tell the young people about UFOs. That's just so fucking weird. It just proves how real it is. Just the weirdness of how all this is playing out. It's just weird. It makes people switch flips. Yeah, that's how you say it. (laughs) They're like, oh, this is real. We got to fucking figure it out. That's kind of what I saw go down there. Right. And also, like you said earlier, the kids are going to have to deal with this. Whatever yeah. it is. And like the the fact is, is it wasn't the kid's decision to make this a secret, even though right. they're going to have to deal with the fallout of making this disclosure happen. If it did, we still don't know what it, what disclosure means we can we can speculate we can speculate what the cattle mutilations mean we can speculate what the uh abductions mean we could speculate you know what i mean like there's a laundry list of what these things are and what they're tied to but the fact that they're even acknowledging things are in our skies things are interrupting our pilots training you know like things are hurting people it's not it's it's well beyond that now now we have congress having open hearings with whistleblowers And now something like 40 whistleblowers have come forward. And we don't even know what's going to happen with that. People are writing books about experiences of being in programs they don't even remember. This is something I know, it's so nuts. fucking crazy. Oh, God. One of the final ones for space-time anomaly section is uh, quantum singularity projectiles. And these are uh, the creation of small-scale black holes that you shoot at people and just annihilate them. Yep. Black hole gun. <laughs> Hold on. I didn't even where mean to you, say that. Where, you, where, are you, where are you reading this? Uh, it's funny when you say say a joke and you <laughs> don't even know until after you say it. Uh, quantum singularity projectiles, the creation of small-scale singularities or black holes as a form of weapon potentially capable of absorbing and annihilating any matter in its path. Yeah, black, black hole gun. Oh my God. I asked uh, ChatGPT, I'm like, what, in, in the context of all the stuff that we've been talking about, like, what does the Department of Defense mean when it says uh, what used to be phenomena is now quantum physics? So this, this is what it said. 
what we once labeled as paranormal or supernatural might be explainable within the framework of advanced quantum mechanics. Phenomena like telekinesis, ESP, or other psychic abilities may be understood as interactions at the quantum level that we have not yet mastered or fully observed. Just to be clear, I did not mention anything about that kind of stuff. The principle that particles can exist in multiple states simultaneously until observed could lead to an understanding of phenomena where objects or beings appear to shift in and out of reality or exist in two places at once. I've heard that a few times. <laughs> well, think about what Kiel said about the Tibetans making Frankenstein's monsters. Imagine a technology if you're a pilot maybe you want to use this technology against an enemy pilot. This doesn't have to be something you can see. It could be like hard to trace, invisible type weapon, but it's going to affect this area that you point it towards. And let's say that this thing, when a human being's brain is in this field of whatever this thing does, you start hallucinating and you start to see things as if they were completely real. Your brain constructs them for you because at the end of the day, your brain is giving you all your sensations anyways. Your brain is giving you everything you see, touch. In my opinion, that's like hacking into the mainframe of somebody's biological system is yep. you could essentially make somebody experience something that is a hundred percent real to them theoretically, but yeah. to everyone observing, they would be like, this guy is tripping. He he just flew through a certain area and now he's describing all these different things. Like, I think that's a hundred percent on the table for technologies like that existing. And that's not saying that uh, incidences like the Nimitz or uh, the Gimbal were like a hallucination. The reason that those ones are so important, my understanding, is that many, many yeah. people, yeah, were corroborating this story, like an entire aircraft carrier in some cases. So that, to me, is like something worth examining. And we're getting acknowledgement that these are real. That's not just something people pulled out of their butt and like made up. Well, someone is definitely getting their Neuralink hacked at some point. <laughs> There's no way that's not happening. It's probably happened already. Honestly. Yeah, or if you even need a Neuralink to get fucking Russian malware in your brain, like really, <laughs> God. Um, when disclosure happens, and you know people find out that, that things aren't at all what they were told, like the young people are probably going to be the most pissed off about it because they're the ones who have to deal with the ramifications. I think um, it's time for the the crusty fucks camping out with this fucking technology. You know, just secrets of the basics surrounding our species. I think it's it's time for them to um, get out of here and let, and let the people who actually have you know a stake in this thing start figuring it out. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's good uh, for now. Just want to thank everyone in the uh, Discord and supporting us on Patreon. I mean, I put out a a new article this week. I think it might stay for paid subscribers just because it's like incredibly depressing. Might be one of the most important things to uh, pay attention to, at least when it comes to like, you know, cattle mutilations. I think that that in itself is uh, a mystery. Poor Linda Moulton has been running around for decades trying to nail it down. But yeah, but at least I think part part of the cattle mutilation story is is going to be a, a massive scandal, eventually public health scandal. Yeah, it's not a fun thing to uh, have to come to grips with, but I wrote an article about it. <laughs> you go check it out if you're feeling like uh, having a bad time at uh, tinyclouds.com. No, I'm actually really proud of that one. But um, yeah, besides Same. that, 
yeah, besides that article, I got nothing really. And yeah, just thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for coming and listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks guys. 